Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. You know, over the past five or six weeks, Pastor Frank's been on a series called Baggage. How many have enjoyed the series so far? It's been a great series. You know, one of the things that I found out about this series is that um, I had a lot of baggage. Now, I put myself maybe in the manageable category. In fact, before it started, I didn't even recognize that I had baggage. But if you were probably honest with yourself, every time one of those slides would come up and there would be a couple more thoughts regarding the people that have baggage, you go, ooh, that's kind of me, and oh, that kind of fits me a little bit, and oh, I had more baggage than I thought I had. Anybody relate to me? Come on, the rest of you have a problem line. You have baggage already, I can tell. Come on, it fits you. Come on, we have baggage in our life. But I do believe that because of that series, that uh, we as a church are actually a lot better off today than we were five or six weeks ago. I believe that God did something very special in our midst. Can I hear an amen? And I thought that as we finished or concluded the series today, and again, I'm not going to spend much time on it, that what we're going to do as a congregation is we're going to seal the deal. We're going to get rid of the baggage once and for all. We're going to pray it out of existence. And we're going to believe God for a no baggage policy at City Bible Church. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, I wish it was that easy. This sounds pretty good that you're never going to have any baggage. That wouldn't be true if I told you that. But with what we've learned, I believe that we can live a more victorious life. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to live an abundant life. It's not something that you can obtain 10, 15 years down the road. He wants you to have it today. And that was the whole reason for the baggage. If we could get it out of our lives, we could live an abundant life. And so what we're going to do, Obi, would you come up here? As a congregation, we are going to pray corporately together that God is going to get rid of our baggage once and for all. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? So let's do that together. You guys ready? Both campuses? I don't know what baggage you have, but again, we're going to just do a symbolic act here, and we're going to carry this stuff out of here. We're sending it on a one-way ticket. We actually talked in our programming meeting. It's too bad that we didn't have the pit. We would have thrown it down in the pit for eternity, you know, but we're going to carry it off. So, come on, let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for what you did in our lives. And as we carry this baggage off, we are believing and trusting, Father, that the days to come are going to be days filled with victorious living. And, Father, we thank you for that now. We seal the deal in Jesus' name. Put your hands together right now for Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, that feels good, doesn't it? It's kind of feel a little bit you know, lighter and <laughs> happy. And I mean, it feels good when you get rid of baggage. It's kind of like, <laughs> I'm happier. <laughs> I'm smiling today because um, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't have problems. I... Come on, are you there? Should be if not. But I wondered if we ever asked ourselves the question during this entire series, Why would God want us to get our baggage out of our life? I can just imagine right now some of the conversation that you've had in your prayer time regarding the baggage being removed from your life. God, remove the baggage from my life so I can be happy. That's the reason why, right, Lord? So I can be happy. (laughs) He says, well, you know, I, I want you to be happy 
But there's something more behind the reason why I want you to get rid of your baggage. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry for wanting to be happy. I... <laughs> okay, Lord, I... Lord, get rid of my baggage so that I can feel good and be a good Christian. He says, well, I want you to feel good. And obviously my word tells you you're supposed to be a good Christian, but there's something bigger and deeper behind the reason why I want your baggage out of your life. And you know what it is? It's pretty simple. It boils down to this. God has a plan. And you're part of it. See, your baggage isn't removed from your life so that you can feel good. Although God wants you to feel good. God wants the baggage removed from your life because he has a plan and you're part of it. And I want to go to the word today and I want to look at a couple scriptures that talk about this thing called the race. And I want to talk to you as a congregation, as a family, as we move out of the baggage series and we move towards the next couple of weeks about talking about our dreams and visions as a church and where you fit into the dream. I want to talk about running the race to win. And I want to look at a couple of scriptures this morning. Hebrews 12, very famous scripture. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12, 1, 2. How many love the word this morning? How many are ready and prepared for it to change your life this morning? Come on, that's what the word does. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, here's our part. And let us run with endurance the race, say the race, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Second Timothy 4, 7 and 8, second scripture. Paul says this at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Say the word race. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Say, that's me. Come on, we're talking about a race. Philippians 3.14 says this. I have pressed on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now this morning, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is powerful. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, separating between soul and spirit. Lord, for every person listening on both campuses, I pray that the word of God penetrate their life today and allow them to leave different than when they came in. Lord, we pray for every person listening by podcast all over the world. Father, there'll be thousands of people that hear these words from your word, God. Lord, we pray for them, those listening by CD and those listening online. God, touch every person, Father, that comes in contact with your word. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. As we take a look at these scriptures, we see that there's a, a metaphorical allusion, if you will, to the foot race that's uh, spoken about in the scriptures here throughout the New Testament. And it likens the foot race into our lives as Christians. 
And we see that Paul himself throughout the epistles, he often uses the term race and prize and running and striving and goals. And he obviously lived in a culture in a time and season which foot races were very popular. In fact, they used to pack stadiums much like today, like a football game or a baseball game. Thousands of people would come out to these Panhellenic contests. And there would be, uh, in Ephesus and Corinth, these big stadiums filled with people that would come out to these foot races. I actually believe that Paul liked sports. He talked about them a lot. And I believe that probably one day Paul, or perhaps the writer of Hebrews, whoever that person might have been, they're in the stadium and they're watching all of the racers down on the field. And I can just imagine them sitting up maybe in the nosebleed seat, you know, next to Bob Euchre, seat 338, section 900. They're up there, they got their Euro wrap in their lap, and they've got their pomegranate juice, and they're watching down. They're edging each other, and they're watching all the different runners running back and forth, and they're looking at their physique and their bodies, kind of a lot like mine if you need a visual aid. And so they're looking at these bodies, and they're chiseled, and they're cut, and they're running, and they're disciplined, and they're focused. And somewhere along the line, They get a God thought. Our life, like Christians, are a lot like those guys. And in the midst of that God thought, I can just imagine them writing on their first century napkin or leaf or whatever it is, some God thoughts that they're getting to go home because they're working on a new book that's going to be in the Bible. So they write these thoughts and they get this rhema word about this race and that our life as Christians should be like the life of a racer. But it didn't start with Paul. It didn't start with the writer of Hebrews. I believe that it started with God. And if we go back clear before even humanity existed, God had this idea and this plan about the human race and that every single person that would ever be been born or will be born, that's you and I, would be placed into this race, be placed onto the planet with a predetermined mission and purpose, and that you would have a destination in mind, and when you got there, you would get a reward. And so we see this analogy, this metaphor of this race. There's a predetermined mission and purpose for your life. You are not here on planet Earth sucking air just to exist. You're not an an accident. You're here because there's a purpose for your life. There's a plan for your life. And so the writer of Hebrews is beginning to say, hey, listen, this race that you're a part of is a pretty big race. And I believe that from Adam and Eve all the way until now and until the return of Christ, that every person born into this world is placed with that same predetermined intention in mind. You're just not here to be happy Christian. Hi, I'm Carly Christian. I'm happy. My role in life is just to be happy. And just to kind of have a cute home and just do some fun things around the house and have these cute little kids. Now, you should have cute little kids and godly kids. But life is bigger and larger than just your little existence here. There's this massive race that's taking place and God's placed you to be a part of it. And again, there's probably people here today that don't even understand that there's a race. Some of you think that it's just kind of, you know, your life exists in these few decades and that's all you think. You don't think from previously or in the future. It's just kind of this little existence. Some of you may not understand it. Some of you may understand it and not care. Others might be distracted. But I'm here to say that the race is pretty serious. 
Now, a few years ago, I had the wonderful privilege of working uh, with a group of students in Special Olympics. My wife and I, we adopted a couple Spanish Indian boys, both mentally delayed, and they become a, just a very special part of our life. And so one summer in particular, I decided to take it upon myself to get involved in Special Olympics. And I went there with all this great idealism that I'm going to teach these students and these kids to run hard and discipline, and we're going to go win some medals. And so I just want to tell you, before I share the story, that I believe that that summer was probably one of the most special summers of my life. I learned more from those 40 students than I perhaps have learned from anything else in life. It's very emotional at times, very inspirational at times, watching sometimes those students even try to get up a couple stairs was their life goal. So it was a very moving time. But I remember the first day as we talked and had our little rally talk, and I brought him down onto the field, and I was going to teach him how to run. And so we got him down and said, okay, guys, we're going to take off running. And all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. They're all going different directions. It's kind of like, whoa, time out. Okay, we've got to go back to the base. Okay, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to run this race. And there's this destination in mind. So we're going to all face the same way and we're going to run that way. Go! And so they all started taking off running. And about half of them made the turn. The other half were going out to the parking lot. It's, whoa, time out. Okay, come on back. And so... We begin to talk about the white line on the track and that when they run, keep their eyes on the white line until they do these little circle things. Well, it was a wonderful time. And so I finally got them running around the track in the right direction. And then we went out and learned how to throw the shot put. Now, that was a treat in itself. I mean, just clear the way. Neil's got the shot put. It can go any direction at any point, you know. So we had to work through a lot of things that summer. But we finally got this great group of, of students to the state finals. Now, we were down at University of Oregon in the track and field stadium, multi-million dollar, brand new, state-of-the-art system, a place that maybe some of you even wished that you could run on. I was there. And the stands are packed with thousands of people. And here are all these students that are down there running all their different things throughout the day. Well, it comes to the end of the day, and it's one of the very last races, the climax, the highlight of all of the summer activities in regionals. It's the 100-meter dash. And Kyle, my son, is in it. And so I'm excited, and so I run up to the, to the starting line, and I'm being dad coach, and the stands are filled with thousands of people. I said, son, I said, listen, you may never get another opportunity to run for the gold. This thing is serious. He's, dad, dad, dad. No, listen, Kyle, you need to understand. You look down that way, and you see that flag down there? You run like crazy. You pretend like I'm chasing you. Go, you run, you scream, you yell, you just go fast, but don't lose your focus. Dad, dad, so I go, okay. So I run way down here. Stands are going. They're all on the gate. Bam, bow! They start running all of a sudden. All of a sudden, Kyle's one length ahead, two lengths ahead, three lengths. I go, yeah, yeah, five lengths. He's going to win. He's going to win. And he comes all the way to the finish line. And he gets to the end. He goes, he stops. And everything went slow motion. Five lengths, four lengths, three lengths. And he turns to the stands and he just goes. And the place just went ballistic. And it's like he didn't even notice what was going on. And all of a sudden, five lengths, four lengths, he goes, wham! And he wins. He goes, yeah! And he took home the gold. I don't recommend 
that you live your Christian life like that. But most of us do. So I want to talk to you about characteristics of this race. There's six things that we find in Hebrews that I think is pretty important for us to understand. I believe it applies to you as a congregation, you as an individual, because City Bible Church is going somewhere. We're in a race as well. And we do a lot of things. You know, oftentimes we might get um, razzed a little bit about being aggressive. Or what are you doing with another campus in Vancouver? I mean, don't you? I mean, look at all the buildings you have. Why do you send 100,000 pounds of food to the poor every year? Why? It's because we understand there's a race. We're not satisfied with just sitting here within our rose-colored stained glass windows, singing kumbaya, having some little weenie roast. Let's talk about the characteristics of this race that you're a part of. Characteristic number one is this. This is the longest race in all of human history. As the writer of Hebrews starts... Hebrews chapter 12, he uses a word that we often overlook when we do our daily devotions, and it's the word therefore. Usually it's the starting of a sentence, but really there's some important connotations to this word and why it sits where it does. Because the word therefore, if you will, the writer of Hebrews, he starts with this word, it implies actually a reaching back and implying or talking about something that was previously discussed. So if we're talking about something important that you're supposed to do in your life, I might say, therefore, these are the three things that you should do. Well, the writer of Hebrews, he uses this word, therefore, in context to this race that we just talked about. But he wants to make sure as you look at the race that you look back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, those of you that don't know much about the Bible or maybe you're new to Christianity, Hebrews 11 is a chapter that talks a great deal about the heroes of the faith. In fact, it starts as you go back into the first verses. It talks about a man named Cain and another man named Abel. And so you begin to see that the writer of Hebrews, he has this revelation. He's taken from the track or wherever he's at. And he goes back and he begins to, to write down thoughts about different people, different generations that were involved in their race, that gave their life to this race. And so he writes about Abel. It says that he gave to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And God says, I, that guy was so good, I want it in my book. Write it down. That guy gave his first. He gave his best. He gave his all. Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and Jericho and Moses. And you go down the list. Noah, all of these patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith, these great women of God. And he says, therefore, as we talk about the race, realize that this race is the longest race in history. And what's happened when you take a look at it, it's these, you see it all over the Bible, like Matthew 1, where it says, so-and-so begot so-and-so that begot so-and-so that begot 42 times, so begot so-and-so that begot so-and-so. It's talking about, if you can grasp it, that there's this master plan of God. And from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve stepped into the garden, they were given this baton, and they were to go through their life, and when they were passing on, they were to give the plan to the next generation. And so we see Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in that scripture. They were willing to give their entire life to a cause, even if they never saw the fruit of their labor. Isaac gave it to Jacob. Jacob gave it to Joseph. 
And so we see this passing on. Well, it's been passed on to you and to me. And here we are in 2006. We're getting this baton. You even see it in our church. Just the heritage, the longevity of this place. And the passing of the baton from Brother Dick to Pastor Frank. And now it's in our hands. And God's requiring us to get ready to pass it on to the next generation. You are in the longest race in the history of humanity. You're part of it. You holding on to the baton right now is very important to the future. Every single one of you here today. So it's the longest race in history. Second of all, it's the widest assembly of participants transcending time and space involving millions of people spanning the ages. Simply stated, it's the largest race in history. This isn't your normal country fun run. Church isn't just some kind of thing that we're supposed to do on Sunday morning. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Doing church today? <laughs> yeah, what'd you do this Sunday? Oh, I went to church. What'd you do the rest of the week? <laughs> uh, good question. It's not just this small race. It's not some kind of second priority thing. He begins to describe this race. And so the writer of Hebrews, as he's thinking, he's, he's sitting there and he says, Therefore, since there's so great a cloud of witnesses. I thought, Cloud? Cloud? Couldn't you have thought of a better word than cloud? How about bodacious? Or how about stupendous? Or colossal? Or massive? Or I mean, could you have thought of a different word than cloud? I mean, think about it. Cloud. Poof. <laughs> there's, there's this big race, and it's kind of like there's this poof <laughs> cloud of people just kind of floating there, and that's how you're supposed to be like, is poof, just like them. It's interesting because the English language affords us only one definition of cloud, very much like the Greek word nephelis, which actually means sharply defined object. However, the Greek gives us another word, the cloud, that's used here, and it's the word nephos. And it basically means a great mass stretching beyond time and space and heavens, beyond form and without form. And so the writer of Hebrews, as he's looking through all the different Greek words, and he's just praying, God, speak to me. God, this is your infallible word. Give me the right word. And all of a sudden, nephos, pow, pops in his mind. Oh, yeah. Big. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's monstrous. When people really realize this and look at this word, they're going to go, wow, this thing's big. I'm a grandfather, and I have three grandsons. The other day, Devin comes running into the house. He's the middle one. He's just about a little over two. And as he runs in, I look at him and said, Devin, Papa loves you this much. And he looks at me. It's just a little two-year-old Mike in my strip. He goes, like he had one up on me. He goes, I, 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 I love you this big much. I knew I was in for a challenge. I said, well, listen, Devin, I love you this big much big. He goes, I love you, big, much, big, monster, big, big, much, big, much, big. And he's trying to grasp in his mind the emotion of how much love he had in his two-year-old heart. He's trying to say, it's this big. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to do this with this language. He's trying to say, this race is this big, big, much, big, big, much, big. We're part of a big race. 
This race is huge. You're a part of this monstrous, stupendous, colossal race. You're a part of it. It's not like... And so we treat sometimes Christianity like a little fun run. Get on your mark. Get set. Go. (laughs) Hi, guys. We're in a race. It's fun. (laughs) You like my shorts? They're nice shorts. Tom, I like your shorts, too. Did you buy them at Garth Sportsman? It was an awesome sale. Oh, my goodness gracious. Tom, that's cute. You got an iPod. Are you listening to Pastor Frank's messages? Awesome. (laughs) Hey, do you have a spray bottle? Spray me. Oh, it's cold. (laughs) But we see here, he's trying to help us get our hands around the right reason why we're here. He's trying to the best of his ability to get the word, the baton into your hand that you would actually see the seriousness of it and grab it and hold on to it with all of your life and all your might. It's a cloud of witnesses. It's the largest race that we're a part of. Let me get a little personal with you too now, taking it beyond just the race itself. And let's talk about you. Characteristic number three. Every potential to be a front runner has been given to you. The writer of Hebrews now begins to beg you and draw you in. In fact, in verse 1, he uses this simple word, us, four times. And so he says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run the race with endurance that's set before us. He's wanting us to understand this race is a we thing. I want to speak to you as a family, City Bible Church, and let you know the race that we're in is a we thing. You're a part of the race. When you came and became a part of City Bible Church, when you became a Christian, you entered the race. It's kind of like, you know, there's no option. You you can't get out of the race. When you're a Christian, you got into the race. It's not like there's a plan B. Did you ever as a child get onto the merry-go-round and someone would spin it and all of a sudden you're going faster and faster? I said, I want to get off, I want to get off, I can't get off, it's going too fast, I can't get off, I can't get off, I can't get off. I'm dizzy. Um, that's kind of like Christianity. You, you bought into something, you're in this race, it's a, an important race, it's the longest race, it's the largest race, and actually you have a part and a plan in the race. That's why it says in Paul, again, writing in 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, you're not your own. Now, we preach that often more than the second part, which says, but you were bought with a price. That price is incredible. Now, I'm all for the idea, maybe not, but, you know, we hear about LeBron James. He gets $90 million to be a representative for Nike before he even bounces a ball on an NBA court. How many say that's a lot of money? How many people would like $90 million? The other half of you need prayer. I mean, $90 million. Come on, I'd have two. I'd like that. But Paul, again, here, he's trying to get us to understand, listen, the value that you were bought with is beyond monetary value. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. And there was a price that was paid for you. And again, you're not saved just to go to heaven. If so, go. 
But you were put into the race. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're joint heirs with God. It says you're heirs with God in, in Romans 8. And so we see all these scriptures that continue to remind us about this race that we're in. In fact, in First Timothy, we see he says that this race, he says, I fought the good fight. I have run the race. He says, life is a fight. Life is a race. And you're in it. You get beat up and you get to go to heaven. It's a fight. And it's a race. And he's given you everything that you need in order to be a front runner. Everything that you need to succeed, you can find in him. That's why I said, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Characteristic number four is that you've, in order to win, you've got to keep your focus on the finish line. Now, Hebrews 12, 1, as it talks about this cloud of witnesses, the word witness actually is misinterpreted oftentimes. And a lot of times we look at that word as if we've got a bunch of people that are up in heaven and they're kind of sitting on the edge of their cloud, their feet are kind of clasp and they're kind of rocking they've got their cosmic popcorn and they're they're kind of looking at you like your san andreas frog jumping contest i mean it's just kind of a fun day and they're going go geo 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 robert go 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 mike go 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 win 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 and it's just like we have this context of the scripture that they're sitting around heaven kind of nothing else to do but to just say go 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 but the word witness doesn't mean that they're pausing and they're just witnessing what you're doing. It actually means that they lived a life. And the witness of that life is the life we're supposed to live. In other words, when it says there's this great cloud of witnesses, there are people that have gone before us that have shown us if you focus, you win. Come on, Noah had every right to be discouraged and distracted. 120 years he would build a boat before there was rain. That guy was focused. Moses, it says in Hebrews 11, again, reflecting back, it says that he was willing to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Focus. Focus, focus, focus. A few years ago, there was a, a man that I had met in Lake Tahoe. His name was Bill McKean. Bill McKean was a triathlete and was probably one of the best at his time in the world toughest triathlon. He had won quite a few of those. He was also a chiropractor in Lake Tahoe. He was training for a race called the Western States 100-mile run. It's actually a 100-mile run where they get into a race. They run for about 20 to 30 hours through the mountains and ravines, kind of lions and tigers and bear. Oh, my. There's no, I mean, it's only helicopters can go there. I mean, it's, they're running through mountains and cliffs and streams for 100 miles straight, nonstop. They don't take a little nap. They run for 100 miles. As he was training, he was ran over by a lady in Lake Tahoe around a sharp turn in a mountainous ravine there and crushed the entire half of his body. He wasn't expected to live. In fact, they told him he would never walk again, crushing his leg, pelvis, ribs, organs, arms, shoulders, skull injuries. The guy would be paralyzed for life. The race organizer send Bill a letter. It says, Bill, we're sorry to hear of your tragedy. If you're ever able to race again. You have an open invitation to run. As he comes out of his coma, they give him the letter. You know what he asked to do? Get the TV out of my room 
and framed that letter and put it right there in front of me, in front of my bed. And he would lay there in intensive, uh, uh, in intensive care and through those weeks being in the hospital. And every morning he'd wake up, he says, give me a tennis ball. And that crushed hand, he'd put the tennis ball and he'd go. For 12 hours, he'd just look at it. Look at the letter. Look at the ball. Look at the letter. Look at the ball. And so this would take place for about two years where he would begin to rehabilitate himself. Now, I didn't know that he was actually going to try to attempt this impossible feat of running, but my wife and I were watching TV, and we were watching at that time, it was ABC's Wide World of Sports, for those of you that are old enough to know that it existed at one time. And so we were watching it, and so I was sitting down that Saturday morning, and all of a sudden it's Bill McKean. I go, honey, I know Bill. This is Bill from Tahoe. It's our chiropractor. Oh, my gosh. Sit down. So we watch it, and so they begin to talk about this guy's miraculous recovery. He gets into the race. He starts off Squaw Valley. They begin working their way up into the mountains and going all the way through and where they're going to go and what have you. About 40 miles into the race or so, he falls. And the manner in which he falls, he lands on his shoulder, shatters his shoulder, collarbone, arm in pieces. It's still nine more miles to the next checkpoint. People running by are going in and telling the people at the checkpoint, there's this guy messed up. He's coming in. He won't let anybody help him. They have an ambulance. He gets there. They throw him on the gurney. He's, ah! They're getting ready to put him in the ambulance. He stops. He goes, what are you doing? He says, we're, t- we're taking you in. He goes, he says, I'm running the race. They take him out and they put his arm across him and they duct tape his upper torso. So now he's the, you know, the silver man. And so he takes off running. Still, you guys, 60 miles to go. Hello, McFly. I mean, it's a long ways. All duct tape up with this thing going on. So he takes off running and about another 30 miles into it, he falls again. And he lands on the same side and he does something to his hip and leg and he can't use his leg. With still 30 miles to go. Now, to make a long story longer, um, we find the finish line. Wide world of sports is there. People are crossing the finish line about 19, 20 hours later. No sign of Bill. It's four in the morning, five, seven in the morning, eight, ten in the afternoon, noon, one, two. About 36 hours later, all that's at that track in Placer, California, Placer High School track, is a wide world of sports camera person, his wife, and one of his teammates. I'll never forget watching that. All of a sudden, you guys remember that? You probably wouldn't because you're Christians. There's a song called Eye of the Tiger, and it goes, down, 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 down. And all of a sudden, Bill McKean comes up over the top of the hill onto the track. He's going, down, 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 down. Oh, my God. Down, down, down. Eye of the Tiger. And here comes Bill crossing the finish line. I was so taken back by this story, I had to call him. I said, Bill, you have got to tell me what you were thinking of. Quote, Bill says this, I never lost focus of the finish line. I didn't come to start, I came to finish. God, my life's such a bummer. Today I had bad thoughts. Lord, it's so tough, Lord. Man, I don't have that good of a job. Listen, life's tough. Stuff happens. Life happens. But one of the ways to get through it all is to get your eyes off the problem and get your eyes on the solution. 
and get your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and never lose sight of the reason why. Think it not strange when these fiery trials have come upon you as if some strange thing is happening to you. Keep focus. Let me just move through these last few points so that we can conclude. Point number five is this. Endurance demands fitness. You've got to be spiritually fit. The last five or six weeks, we've been talking about getting rid of baggage and getting prayer into our life and getting fit. A lot of us, you know, we want to run the race. But, you know, we've recognized that when we get into it, it's kind of tough and maybe we don't have the endurance. It has a lot to do with your spiritual disciplines in your life. The writer of Hebrews, real quickly, he just talks about getting rid of weight, distractions out of your life, the sin that so easily ensnares you, run with endurance. That's the part where you've got to build some spiritual disciplines in your life. You've got to actually prepare if you're going to be a great runner. You just can't do a lap around the track and go, man, I'm so tired. It's Christianity's a big thing. He says, no, if you're going to run the race, get into it with all gusto. Characteristic number six is this, no guts, no glory. There's a great reward for those who run well. Let me just conclude by sharing a couple thoughts with you. There's a reason why God's asked you in the history of our church, timing and season, to get rid of some baggage. I don't believe that it's accident that the Lord put it upon Pastor Frank's heart to get rid of baggage. Because himself and the leadership knew that what's ahead of us is going to require that every single one of us get into the race, that we're shaped, we're fit, we're disciplined, we're focused, because there's a great reward awaiting for us as a congregation. I say this carefully, and I say it humbly. I believe that our church has a special favor upon it. I believe that it's a unique church, and I believe that God's placed you to have the same opportunity that I have is to run the race to win. And over the next couple of weeks, Pastor Frank's going to come back here into the pulpit, and he's going to talk about something that we did called Forward Together. And we're going to be talking about basically what we've done over the last three years. And we've got to understand the reason why we do these things is because we believe we're in a race. It's not just about raising some money. The money actually is insignificant compared to the eternal purposes. It's just the vehicle. And I believe that as Pastor Frank comes back and starts to talk about coming together and finishing strong, you should have received a letter from him and a newsletter from him if you're on our mailing list. What, what Pastor Frank is trying to do is to say, you guys, let's run! Come on, there's a race! We're not just doing this just to do it. There's millions of people that need Jesus. There's people that are hurting. There's people that are wounded. There's people that death. It's the reason why we stretch. It's the reason why we give. It's the reason why we sacrifice. It's the reason why our vision's so big because there's a race. Come on, there's a race. And I believe what the Holy Spirit's asking you today is to get into it. He's just asking, you know, wherever you're at, you may be a Christian 20 years, give, serve. 
the Holy Spirit saying, step up, step up a notch. If you're just visiting, maybe you just recently started attended, get involved, get into membership, take over a small, do something to understand that you're part of God's plan. You're in this place for a reason and God wants to use you in a great way. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet this morning?